everything that God has to say to you is communicated with absolute clarity in and through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And I pause there just to remind you that for this reason, Christian believers do not need to be unduly fretting about interpreting their dreams. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. So, Colin, I'm pleased to hear that the dream I'm always having that I haven't done my school exam preparation really doesn't mean anything, right? (laughs) Thankfully not. (laughs) I'm very, very thankful that we know how God directs our lives through the Bible and that I don't need to be worried about some of the weird things that end up inhabiting dreams. And uh, I think that should come as a great relief to people. Of course, God is able to speak, especially where people don't have access to the Bible. He is able to speak in remarkable ways. And we've all heard, I'm sure, stories um, of how God does reach into people's lives. And in uh, the Old Testament here, we're looking in the story of Joseph, dreams appear quite often. But I think it's very important to say to people that God speaks to us clearly in and through his word, definitively in and through his word. And that is the measure always of what God has to say to us and how he gives direction to our lives. Thank God for a clear word that's been spoken to us and that that word focuses on his son, Jesus Christ. Well, let's hear that word today. And we're in Genesis chapter 40 with a message called Suffering and Serving. Here's Pastor Colin. We've seen that Joseph was a trusted servant who was falsely accused. That Potiphar's wife spread a lie about him. That Potiphar suppressed the truth. And that the result was that uh, Joseph found himself suffering and uh, thrown into prison. And today we're going to see how Joseph ministered to others at this hardest time of his life. It's a remarkable example and a wonderful testimony to us. Uh, He served even when he suffered. And I want us to focus today on the ministry of Joseph, the people that he served. And then we're going to see some very wonderful connections between this story and our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have your uh, Bible open at Genesis 40, we begin at verse 1, where we're told that sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. So there are these two men, the cupbearer and the baker, and they were trusted servants of the king. Verse 2 tells us that um, one of them was the chief cupbearer. So that means, obviously, that there were other staff underneath him, and the other one was the chief baker. So these are people who are kind of the right and left hand, as it were, of the of the king. They have been trusted with responsible positions, and then we are told that these two officers, verse 1, had committed an offense. Now, here's an important distinction, that Joseph was in prison because of a great injustice. He was an innocent man, as we saw earlier in the story, But these two men um, were in prison for cause. They had indeed committed an offense. We're not told what the offense was, but it was against, the Bible says, their lord, the king of Egypt. So here's this king, and he's trusted these people with significant responsibility. And uh, you know that uh, nothing provokes anger like a trust that has been betrayed. And that's what has happened here. The king has trusted these men, And the trust has been betrayed. They've acted against the king. They were called to serve. And as a result, we read in verse 2 that Pharaoh therefore was angry. 
Now we come to the heart of the story, which is in verse 5. The one night, these two, the cupbearer and uh, the baker, dreamed each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. Now we touched on the subject of dreams earlier in the series, and we noted that while dreams are very significant in the story of Joseph. They do not occur frequently in other places. The book of Daniel, they occur significantly and a few places in the New Testament. And uh, the reason for this being relatively confined is that uh, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that in past times, long ago, the book of Hebrews says, God spoke in many different ways. But now the book of Hebrews says he has spoken to us in his son. And so in the history of God's revelation, he's used multiple means of communication. And one of them here is this whole subject uh, of dreams. But says the book of Hebrews, now he has spoken to us in his son, which means that everything that God has to say to you is communicated with absolute clarity in and through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And I pause there just to remind you that for this reason, Christian believers do not need to be uh, unduly fretting about interpreting their dreams. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't ask me to try and do that. If you want to know what God is saying to you, don't be in the business of trying to figure out your own dreams. Uh, read the Bible. And as someone just quoted to me a tweet that I thought was rather good. I don't know who it was that had, had tweeted it, but uh, it was to this effect. If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. I, I, thought, that was, I thought that was rather uh, good uh, and helpful. But, but here in this story, quite clearly, God is speaking to these men through their dreams. Now, let's look at the ministry of Joseph first, which is in verse uh, 6 through 8. Three things. First, he saw, verse 6, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that these two men, the cupbearer and the baker, were troubled. Very simply, Joseph's eyes were open to people around him, and uh, he was observant. He saw a change in the demeanor of these men. Now, here are two men who are in prison. I don't suppose they were particularly joyful, even on the best of days. But it was clear to Joseph that on this particular morning, something was up with these men. Joseph, by this point, had been given responsibility in the prison. So when he comes to them, what was he doing? I don't know. Perhaps he was bringing their breakfast. Perhaps that was one of his responsibilities. And with many duties, he could easily have simply given them their breakfast, turned on his way, and uh, carried on with everything else he had to do. But he didn't do that. He took time to notice that there was a particular distress that he had not noticed before on the face of these two men. Joseph saw that they were troubled. And let's just take this as we're trying to gain encouragement to ministry from the scriptures today. If you want to be useful to the Lord in ministry, ask God to give you open eyes and a sensitive heart to be aware of, to pick up on people who are troubled. Times when even on the face of a person, there's some evidence that there is a trouble that is going on in their heart. He saw, picked up on it. And second, notice that he asked, verse 7, he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Now here's a fascinating question. These two men are in prison. And Joseph says, why are you so unhappy today? 
You're not expecting that they would normally be joyful. There was something that was more troubling to them than being in prison. There was something more troubling to them than knowing that they were guilty of particular crimes. What could be more troubling than knowing you are truly guilty of particular crimes and that you are in prison? What could be more troubling than that? Well, here's what was more troubling to them on this particular day, and it even showed on their faces. They know that there is a God, but they do not know what he has said. And this causes this distress to be evident even on their faces. They've had this dream. They've had this experience. They have an awareness that there is a, a divine being that, that in some ways reaching out to them. They don't know who God is. They don't have the faintest idea what it is that God has actually said. And this is distressing. And here's the point that around us, there are many people in exactly that position. Some general sense that there is a God but I don't really know who he is, and I certainly don't know what he has said. And so I'm left in this uh, strange position of just being troubled with a sense of what I do not know and who I do not know. And Joseph picks up on this, and he sees the distress, and he asks a question. Here's the third thing he does. He offers. They said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Now, Joseph, of course, had this remarkable prophetic gift by which, through direct revelation from God, he was able to interpret the dreams. And so he offered to tell these men what it was that God was speaking to them. Now you say, well, how in the world does that apply to, to us? How does that apply to me? I don't have that gift of interpreting dreams. You don't need to have it. Here's why. God has spoken his word in the scriptures that he has trusted to his people. And all God's people, therefore, are in a position truly to tell others what God has said. And this is why on the day of Pentecost, Peter, the apostle, quoted the great prophecy of Joel, you remember Joel's prophecy? God had said, on the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just a few people, but on all of my people, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So all of the people of God, men and women, are all going to be put in a position of being able truly to speak the word of God. How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. God has given his word, and you may have this opportunity this week. For your eyes to be open, for you to see someone who is particularly troubled, uh, for you to pick up on it, for you to ask, and for that, as it did with Joseph, to open a door of opportunity for you to be able to say, do you know, do you want to know what God has said? And then for you to be able to speak some words of Scripture with absolute confidence that when you bring something from the Word of God, you really have brought into, your, into another person's life something that God himself has actually said. And so here is a marvelous, marvelous model of ministry and a wonderful encouragement for us today. And it's really important, folks, for this reason. That God's people are not always like this. We're not always in the position where we're sensitive, picking up to others, asking the question that opens a door for ministry and ready to speak the word of God. 
God's people are not always like this. Oh, that we were always like Joseph. The truth is that sometimes we're more like Jonah. And you remember, you see the parallels in the stories. Jonah also is in a situation where he's among people who are in great distress because they have an awareness that there is a God. God's got their attention, not by sending dreams, but by sending a storm. And these sailors are are aware that there is a divine being, but they have no idea who he is or what he has said and what are we to do about this storm. And God's man is on the boat, just like Joseph, God's man was in the prison. The problem with the Jonah story, of course, is that God's man's asleep. Why is he asleep? Because what he's doing is he's pursuing his own rebellion against God. He's drugged his own conscience by the pursuit of his own sin, even while he's God's man, and he knows he's God's man. But he's no use to these people, at least not until God forces his sin out into the open and he has to make a confession. Then he goes and marvelously is used by God to the salvation of many people in Nineveh who did not know who God was, what he had said. Then what happens after that? He goes outside the city, sits under a plant that grows, and then the plant withers, and what happens? He becomes consumed with his own pain. And now he's out of the place of usefulness again. See how easily that can happen to us. God's man, God's woman, surrounded by people who really don't know who God is and don't know what he has said, but silenced, not useful in ministry like Joseph. Why? Because like Jonah, you're pursuing your own rebellion against God. You're pursuing your own fight against God. Or else like Jonah later in the story, you're consumed with your own pain and and the suffering of your own life. And the marvelous thing about the story of Joseph is that he is suffering. He's in the prison. There's every reason at a natural level why this man would be bitter because of lies and because of the hatred of his brothers and everything that's happened in his life. But he's not like that. He's serving while he is suffering. And he's the most marvelous model and example of that. How God can use you in the hard situations of your life where he places you for whatever reason, even through an injustice, even through a great loss, he's put you in a position where you are surrounded by people who have a sense that there is a God, but they do not know who he is, and they do not know what he has said. So let's take this example uh, from the life of Joseph and have our eyes open Uh, Be ready to ask, be ready to offer with the confidence that you can speak the word of God into the life of a person when you open the scriptures and bring to them the word that God has trusted to his people. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. We're looking today at the life of Joseph, and in a moment we'll continue this message from Genesis chapter 40. If you ever miss any of these broadcasts, you can catch up on the website, openthebible.org.uk. Back to the message now, and here's Pastor Colin. I want us to focus in a little more on the people that Joseph served, these two men, the cupbearer and the baker. Let's start with the cupbearer, verses 9 to 13. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine, there were three branches. Now, there's nothing surprising about the fact 
that a man who had spent his career as the cupbearer to the king and had become the chief cupbearer to the king, that when he has a dream after a life in that career, his dream would have cups and grapes and uh, wine and uh, presenting a cup to the king. That was the stuff of his life. And it's not surprising when a person dreams about the stuff of their own life. Nothing surprising about that. And as you look at the particular dream that he had, uh, he says, verse 10, as soon as it budded, that's the vine, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. So what's happening here is rather like a a high-speed film, you know, where something that happens over several weeks or months is speeded up and you see it happening instantly. So in the dream, it's like there's these little buds and they become blossoms and then they become uh, clusters and then they're ripened and then the next thing, the grapes are being pressed into the cup and then the next thing, the cup is being handed to the king. And it's all happening, this process that would take months. It's all happening very, very quickly, high speed in the dream. In verse 11, Pharaoh's cup he says, was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Now, he is dreaming then about what he used to do. And in the dream, he sees himself doing it again. The cupbearer's dream, therefore, represented his highest hopes that there would be a kind of fast forward from this dreadful position that he was in in the prison, and that in some way he would be restored to the king's service, that he would have the opportunity of doing again what he had had the privilege of doing before. His highest hopes. You don't need any special gift of interpretation to see that. It's just obvious from the very nature of the dream that the cupbearer dreamt on that night. But what Joseph told to the cupbearer was something that could only have been revealed by God. Notice what it was, verse 12. Then Joseph said, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. Now, if you're going to make a prediction that on a three-day timescale, you better be sure it's the word of God, (laughs) because in three days, either Joseph is going to be uh, exposed as a fake or he's going to be affirmed uh, truly as a prophet of God. And of course, that he was. And uh, what he spoke here could only have come to him by direct revelation from God. He speaks it, and then in three days, sure enough, the word of God comes to pass. And so what happens here is that the cupbearer's highest hope, the very best thing that he could have wished for, comes to pass. He is pardoned. He is released. He is wonderfully restored to the service of the king. Now that's the cupbearer. Then we come to the baker. Now, it's interesting that the baker had held back when Joseph had offered to interpret dreams, and it's not difficult to see why. Because while the cupbearer's dream represented his very highest hopes that he might be able again to do what he had done before, uh, the baker's dream went in a rather different direction. 
But we're told in verse 16 that when the baker saw that the interpretation given to the cupbearer was a favorable one, well, now he, he came forward. Maybe there's some good news for me as well from this man, Joseph. And so he says, I also had a dream. Now, again, it's not surprising since he was the chief, chief baker. He had spent his entire career in the king's uh, kitchens. Um, his dream was about bread and cakes being carried in baskets. Again, he was dreaming about his own work, about his own uh, life's work, uh, what was familiar to him. And he says, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. You can picture this then. He has these three layers of baskets, one on top of the other. And here's the baker, and he's seeing himself, as he'd done so often before, carrying these baked goods into the presence of Pharaoh, except that in his dream, he does not see himself presenting these baked goods to the king. He says, in the uppermost basket, verse 17, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. So clearly, the uh, baker's dream represents his deepest fears that the job that had been taken from him would, would never be given back, that all of his work would become food for birds. Again, you don't need any special gift of interpretation. There's nothing prophetic about that. It's just this is the nature of the dream, and it's uh, not an appealing picture that had been pressed into the mind of the baker. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Suffering and Serving, part of our series Snapshots of a Godly Life. It's about the life and ministry of Joseph and the people he ministered to. Joseph served a cupbearer and, as we've just heard, a baker. We'll continue with this message next time on Open the Bible. And if you ever miss any of our broadcasts or if you want to listen to them again, you can always do that by going to the website openthebible.org.uk. There you can download a free MP3 or just simply stream the message online. And this month, there's something new on the website. It's Pastor Colin Smith's Daily Devotionals, just a two- or three-minute reflection, read by Sue McLeish. You can find a new one every day at openthebible.org.uk. It's a great way to start the day. Open the Bible is supported by its listeners. If you're able to support us with a regular gift of £5 or more, we'd like to thank you by sending you a copy of a book. It was written many years ago but it will be new to many of you. It's called simply Holiness. And Colin, who is this book for? Well, it's in the title. It's for everyone who wants to pursue a holy life. And you know what? That has to be every believer, because the Bible says without holiness, we will not see the Lord. But here's the question. What's the relationship between God accepting us, the Bible calls that justification, and God changing us? The Bible calls that sanctification. Does God only accept us when he changes us? And uh, if God has accepted us before he changes us, is it okay just to rest happy that he's accepted us? Well, Ryle really gets into these issues. What is the relationship 
between justification and sanctification, between God accepting you so that you have peace with him through Jesus Christ and God changing you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I think most of the main questions that I get asked as a pastor, questions that trouble ordinary believers, arise from a confusion between these two things, justification and sanctification. It's about, well, you know, I'm not yet the Christian that I want to be. I've not yet changed as much as I would like to. Has God really accepted me? You see, that that's right on the hinge between these two things. And Ryle gets at that in such a clear and biblical way. That's why this is such a helpful book. It will help every Christian to make sense of their own experience. We want to send you a copy of this book. It's my J.C. Ryle. You can find details of this offer, along with how you can support Open the Bible by giving. Just go to our website, openthebible.org.uk. If you're able to commit to a regular donation of £5 or more, we would like to thank you by sending you a copy of the book, Holiness. For Pastor Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick, and we look forward to you joining us next time. Open the Bible is a listener-supported production. What's the difference between a prophet and a saviour? Find out next time on Open the Bible.